thank you, Nick, for being here and doing this with me. I am just really happy you're here. My pleasure to be here. Because I wouldn't do this probably with anyone else. <laughs> so, you know, it's really interesting because I do these interviews, you know, with a bunch of people who are telling their stories and they are very vulnerable and authentic and have stories that people really can identify with. And it helps so many people. I mean, I've heard just so many stories of how their stories have helped and their experiences have helped them. And yet for me to decide to be vulnerable and share my own experience, my own transformation experience has been uh, a little nerve wracking for me. So <laughs> I'm glad you're here with me. And I thought that this would be the best way to do it rather than me just talking is to have somebody actually interview me as well. So, yeah, I think you chose that strategy wisely. So <laughs> happy to be here. Um, excited and nervous for you as well. Right. I mean, this is something that doesn't necessarily come easy and, you know, there's some risk associated with it as, as the story will unfold. Mm -hmm. And so proud of you for being bold and uh, having courage and embracing your inner Brene Brown. <laughs> well, I'm trying to, yeah, muster up as much Brene as I can possibly do today. I know I was thinking about that, about the whole uh, vulnerability hangover thing. <laughs> that might happen to me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah. And you, I mean, you walked through this with me a lot, a, a yeah. lot of the way. So I will go through the whole thing. So, right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So your story, you're here to tell your story and, you know, for those that are listening, I, I am Dr. Nick Sotello, and I also have a podcast called The Upgraded Life. You and I pretty much started this podcast project at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's kind of fun to see us uh, hitting milestones mm -hmm. kind of in, in, in sequence and in step and whatnot. So, and I don't know where you want to start with this in terms of we're in the timeline, but you did, you know, provide me with the questions that you usually run through your own right. uh, guests. And so maybe we'll just start there. Sure. And, you know, that first question is, Wendy, what was your life like before your life changing experience? Yeah. Well, before all of this happened, I was running a holistic counseling center. I was supervising lots and lots of pre-licensed therapists in, in Oregon. I did a lot of supervision. My, my whole practice was working with therapists. And I also was teaching and doing um, supervision groups and classes for several different universities around. But my main day-to-day -day thing was really running a counseling practice with about seven therapists there. And we had quite a few interns, student interns running a practice out of there too. So that was really what I we were doing. And my, my vision kind of for my life was that this was going to be the way that it went until I retired, that my my business was, you know, growing and it was doing pretty well. And uh, we loved what we were doing there. And I felt like we're helping a lot of folks, both therapists and, you know, the community as well. 
and I just kind of loved what I was doing. And I, my vision really was that that was just going to continue. And I had no real reason not to, although I did find myself, which was very interesting, about six months before this happened. I remember sitting on my porch and I was sitting there and I was thinking, I wonder what it would have been like if I didn't go to graduate school. <laughs> like it would have been so much simpler and mm. I wouldn't have to hear all of these stories all mm. the time and mm -hmm. all of this trauma all the time. And I just kind of, I remember sitting there thinking life would have been so much simpler, but I'm in this now and there's no way to get out. Mm-hmm. That was sort of a thought that kind of crossed my mind. And, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating when I look back on that. So that was, although I loved what I was doing, I knew it was taking a toll on me and it was, it was heavy, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I felt a lot of responsibility. So yeah, that's kind of yeah. where I was. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. So you, you're a therapist, you've got your own clinic you know, and even, even beyond your own private practice, right. For people. And of course your podcast is called, I used to be a therapist, right? right? So it's one thing to have a private practice, right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to find an office or I'm going to find someplace that I can call my own space and I'm going to market myself and, and network with other professionals. And I'm going to see clients that that's one thing, right? That's not what you were doing. No, <laughs> <laughs> you, you were scaled, you know, way, way beyond that. Right. So you, you know, I, I've been part of your journey almost since day one. I remember, yes. you know, the first office suite that you were in and then the next one where I actually, you know, had a presence there and beautiful setting on the river with multiple, you know, offices mm -hmm. and, you know, parking lot and waiting room and just everything that people's private practice or clinic dreams are kind of made of. Right. right. Um, group rooms where, you know, you were adding all kinds of other services, um, holistic approach. Mm -hmm. And then kind of that final piece where you, you moved into the last office that you were in that was, you know, eh, it wasn't kind of as pretty as being on the river, but, you know, life happens. But in terms of what it could provide in terms of a clinic and being able to expand, you know, again, this is way beyond just, you know, a, a private practice. Yeah. What, what did I miss in there? <laughs> well, I think part of that, I mean, when we moved into the house, we moved into this house and we redid this whole house and made it just a real kind of shabby, chicy kind of look. And we had a yoga room and a massage therapy room. And, but I think what, you know, kind of what you're getting at too, was that I had brought in a bunch of people and it mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, I wasn't just having my own practice. I was responsible for helping grow these other people's practice. Mm -hmm. And, all of the administrative piece of that, helping facilitate, you know, supervision with them, clinical supervision with them. And so I did have other people's livelihoods, mm -hmm. right? And not just my own mm -hmm. that I was responsible sure. for, that I felt responsible for anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So let's back up even further there. Then what made you want to become a counselor or a therapist? <laughs> That's a really good question. I've actually been asking that question for my season three to all of mm. the people that I'm interviewing. And I've been thinking about that. You know, honestly, I have no good answer. Mm. I don't think that I have this really great 
deep answer for why I wanted wanted to be a therapist, except for that it seemed to be the thing that fit for me. Mm-hmm. I tended, even in my undergrad, you know, I tell a story a lot of times of like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I really didn't. I didn't know that I even wanted to go to college, but I knew I couldn't stay home. My parents wouldn't just let me hang out. And I didn't really want to work in any like fast food place. I mean, I didn't have any education. So I knew I needed to do something, but I really had no vision for what I wanted to do. And so I remember going into, I was going to the University of Oregon and I walked into what they used to call arena scheduling. And mm-hmm. I um, remember. do you remember I, that? I had the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walked into this big, huge gymnasium and there was, now you just do it online, but there was just all of the people, all of the different classes were at tables all around this whole gymnasium. And then you're supposed to go and you sign up and you have this piece of paper that you sign into different classes. I remember this moment standing there and not knowing what I wanted to do. And like, I'm here, I got into the University of Oregon. Now, what do I do? I have to go register for classes. And I don't even have a clue what I want to do. And this man, this guy came up to me and he said, Hey, do you know where human services is? (laughs) And I said, I have no idea. And he's like, okay. So he walked away and I'm like, Hey, I'm just following him. So I followed him to the human service table and signed up and I, that became my major. (laughs) And so then that in that university was really the social work piece, right? Human Mm -hmm. services was social work. And so I got a degree basically in social work or in human Mm -hmm. services And uh, because of that, I mean, that was really my Mm -hmm. kind of flailing through as a, you know, teen, late teens and early 20s. And I didn't go to graduate school right away. I I was 38 or whatever before I went back to school. But I knew that I needed to get more education if I wanted to work something that wasn't, you know, that I could make a little bit more money. And so it just seemed like a good fit for me to go because I had that degree just to go become a therapist. So that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. That was, so it's not a really great story of why I, sure. like I, yeah. Although it's not an uncommon story. You know, I've talked to lots of people and, you know, even myself included, you know, I've got 21 years in youth corrections and, you know, I started out wanting to be pre-med and, and, and a dentist. Right. And so right. you just, you know, things happen for a reason. And, and so it's, yeah, it's not an uncommon story mm-hmm. in terms of how you found your way in, in, into that career path. Mm-hmm. And, but there's another piece though, to it, right? I mean, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and this is where you and I, this <laughs> is where our lives started to overlap is, you know, in a doctoral program. So, sure. you know, what was that jump for you? You know, you had your master's degree and then what, you know, what made you join the the club of crazy to say, yeah, I want to, I want to really try to, you know, kill myself and get a, and get a PhD. Right. That is a club of crazy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, it was seeing the need for better therapists, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, there was a couple of reasons. So that was one of the biggest reasons why I went to get a degree in, in um, counseling education and, and supervision. So I wanted to be able to teach therapists and to help therapists 
be the best they could be for their clients because I Mm. saw such a need in that area. That was one of my biggest draws to why I decided to go get my PhD. And the other one is to because I wanted to have some influence, um, and I still will sometime in my life, in actually what really motivated me was this need I saw in foster care system mm-hmm. as I was working with a bunch of foster care kiddos. It wasn't actually kiddos. It was people who, kids in their, you know, I'm going to say kids, but in their 20s who'd mm-hmm. come out of that system. It was just very broken and they were broken and needed so much healing from just being there. And I thought, you know, if if I'm ever going to make any kind of a, a difference in that system, then I'm going to need to have some credentials. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those were my two real motivating factors. Mm-hmm. See, you ended up with a good uh, answer to the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So and we're dancing around the event, right? So mm-hmm. from 2013 or 14 to the event, how many years was that? 13, I think, is when I graduated. I started my clinic that year. Mm-hmm. And then, although I did not know that this was happening, my event started with a board report, a report from a person to my licensing board. And it that actually happened in... December of 2016. Hmm. But I did not hear about that until the last week of August in 2017. Oh. Yeah. So I didn't know that whole time, but yeah. Yeah. Let's shape up what's going on for for you and your life and your journey as a therapist, as a supervising therapist, as a director of a clinic. So just to give people, you know, you know, just a deeper dive on the scope of what you're doing, right? And so, as you moved into, you know, the soul care location, mm-hmm. how many other clinicians did you have working there at that point in time? Seven. Seven. Yeah. And then how many? How many of those were student interns? So, so students that were still in graduate school and they're finding a place to be with you so that they can get the experience that they need in order to graduate in the first place. How, how many of those were, were active at that time? Uh, two. When I moved two. into soul care, two mm-hmm. interns that I brought with me. Yeah. And then how many other type of healthcare practitioners did you have there uh, in addition to your, your, your therapists? We had two different massage therapists mm-hmm. and um, I was running a, in that program a trauma-based yoga program Mm -hmm. so we had uh, about five yoga instructors that Mm -hmm. were also there that did trauma work Mm -hmm. and this is always a hard number to for people to cough up in 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 the moment but um, you know what would you say on average um, how many clients were served uh, Mm -hmm. on a daily basis on average um, uh, so probably 50. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 40 to 50 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is in a time. A day. Yes. Yeah. A day. Right. A day. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and this is also in a, uh, a, where it really hasn't changed. Um, but this is in a, in a, an era in our quote unquote healthcare system and our, in our mental health system where, 
it, it was and is incredibly difficult to get an appointment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right now it's, uh, yeah, it, it was, it, it's very, very difficult mm-hmm. to get an appointment. Mm-hmm. So you, so you have a clinic that's serving, uh, you know, on average 50 clients a day mm-hmm. in a, in a scenario where, you know, if you're, if you have Kaiser insurance, I know Kaiser Permanente is an insurance provider out in our area. Um, they, they were telling people, you know, we can get you an appointment. It'll, it'll be six months from now though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's how far down the road we're booked. So they they were even telling their own employees that you're better off. Like if you can find somebody that will take you, we'll actually pay for it. Yeah, it's it's true. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, even coming straight out of the hospital, the psychiatric mm-hmm. hospital, right. it will take. I mean, so these are high needs, folks. Mm-hmm. It will take two to three months to be able to be seen. Sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. It's very, very hard to find practitioners that are qualified. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, moving up to that moment where you talked about earlier in our discussion here, where you were sitting outside and you were reflecting on, oh, my gosh, what have I done to my life? <laughs> and do I want to keep doing this? And you said it. But again, I want to I want to highlight that, that, you know, as a therapist, your resource is finite, meaning you can only sit in front of so many people and you can't know ahead of time when you're going to be done, right? Uh, meaning some people do it for a year and they're done. Some people do it for 30 years and and um, they still feel like that they can, they can keep doing it, right? Um, but that number is there. You, you just don't know. Um, what number specifically is going to be for you that moment when you're just like, you know, I just can't keep doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a burden and a blessing, right. To be, to be good at what you do as a therapist, to be skilled, to have a network where people refer folks to you, but there is a toll that it takes that, you know, only a therapist really understands or or gets Mm -hmm. uh, around that. Was that part of kind of what your reflection was at at that point in time? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as I look back on that, that I didn't even know that it was taking as big of a toll on me Mm -hmm. as it was. So I didn't, I couldn't see it from the middle of it. Right. But I knew that something I knew that I kept wishing for something different Mm -hmm. and I didn't know at the time (laughs) what that was or, and and actually I knew that I, well, I thought, well, maybe I could do something different or I remember, I remember actually, this is the first thing that happened is that I, I got in contact with this woman that I hadn't seen for maybe 20 years and she used to do a, a daycare at her house and, and she basically was still doing daycare and, you know, she was doing some other things and they were going on vacation and stuff and her and her husband. And I was like, I wonder what it would have been like if I didn't go to school. (laughs) If I just, you know, decided to do something like that. And then I would be free. I was really my (laughs) thought, like I'd be free. Mm, And I didn't, but I didn't know that it was, I mean, I love what I did. So that was the thing like this. I Mm -hmm. loved doing what I did. But I also had this tug of feeling a little bit stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't remember what the title of the article was, but there was an, an article that got published and the, the title goes something like a, a therapist that dreams of becoming a Starbucks barista. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for a lot of the same, you know, the same things that you described and, you know, things that are so familiar with, with therapists that have, that have done the work and have done it well. Um, yeah. and there is that, you know, what if I would have done something different, you know? Yeah. That was really my, it, it would come to me every once in a while. And then I would, I remember, I mean, very clearly just remember going, okay, well, that's not going to happen. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, right. well, I'm going to live in reality. Here I am. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And, and not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, you have a, a major piece of, retail property in in Salem mm-hmm. um you know under contract or lease and I can't remember or or if you bought it but no, that's I had yours a lease. yeah yeah that's yours mm-hmm. you've got all these people like you said that their livelihoods to to some degree or another are are in your hands mm-hmm. and you know that's something that you just can't walk away from you know nilly willy if that's what you choose right Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that would be involved in if you decided to to transition on your own you know of your own volition right it would Mm -hmm. there there'd be a process associated with it it wouldn't just it wouldn't be how it ended up uh, (laughs) unfolding at least i don't think right it would not be that way all right so let's let's um do away with the suspense um (laughs) you did mention it to a, a certain degree but at some point in time you know, three years after you finished the PhD and you're down this, I have a clinic journey. Uh, someone somewhere issued a complaint about you to the licensing board in Oregon. And here's the little, the dirty little secret in Oregon. Um, if you're a therapist, counselor, they don't have to tell you that you're under investigation. Mm-mm. And that's where you're part of saying, I didn't know until, you know, possibly a whole nother full year later mm-hmm. um, where you finally were served notice. I, I've heard stories um, where not just stories. I know firsthand accounts where people found out initially based on something hitting the newspaper. Yeah. I mean, they never knew um, and that they were, had done, it, done anything wrong. Well, maybe in this one, they actually did know that they had <laughs> done something wrong. But nonetheless, they didn't know that there, were, there was an issue with them until they read about it in the newspaper. And their friends and family were calling them first thing in the morning. Like, did you look at the newspaper? No. Well, you better. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. And, and I get it. There's probably reasons um, for why that is. But it is makes you kind of want to scratch your head in terms of, you know, it's what's really going on and and what what purpose does that ultimately serve? So that was definitely your case. There was a complaint that was um, levied against you and you didn't know it for the better part of a year. Mm-mm. Yeah, that that's what happened. And I was actually in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on my lanai. I think I remember getting a call from Hawaii. I know, I'm like, Nick. <laughs> um Yes. So I was in Hawaii sitting on my lanai looking over the ocean in Maui and I got a phone call from one of my therapists who had gotten a phone call from the board. Mm-hmm. And so she said, you know, I, I said, oh, hey, just call him back and no problem and it'll be fine. And I thought it was, you know, we thought it was about her or one of her clients or something. And she called me back pretty soon and said, no, it, it, they asked me about you. And I remember, you know, um, that very moment, 
actually my heart sinking, my stomach starting to hurt, uh, anxiety just growing in me and trying to come up with in my head what somebody might have said about me because mm-hmm. honestly, I did not know that I had done anything wrong. Right? right. So I wasn't like I was trying to hide some secret. I and, and so I kept, you know, going through all these things in my head about what could it have been? Who could it have been a client? Who was this? You know, so that's really what had happened for me. Yeah. So there's shock, right? And there's mm-hmm. there's terror, there's uncertainty. You know, this is for a licensed counselor or therapist, you know, this is this is the doomsday scenario, right? And, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and we, at this point in time, you know, we're not we're not rookies to this field and career. We've seen this happen to other people. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And we've heard, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know specifically about you, but, I, you know, I've been directly linked to other people that, you know, have had to um, surrender their license or, you know, had their license revoked, mm-hmm. um, over, over situations and whatnot. So, you know, it is, it is every therapist's, you know, nightmare in terms of, oh my goodness, you just think it won't happen to me, right? It, it can't happen to me. Yeah. Well, you think, I, th- I mean, for me, I really worked very hard at being ethical mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being above board and doing things the right way and you know in that I thought was the right way always and not doing things that could in my opinion get me in trouble right Mm -hmm. so I I really did think well that's not going to happen to me and I I actually think that a lot of the things that happened and we'll kind of get into that maybe but might have happened or they I'm sure they did in a big part because of my arrogance, because Mm -hmm. of my believing that I was sort of above that, that I would never get in trouble from the board because I would never do anything that, you know, do anything bad. And, and so I think that is a big part of why it sort of went the way that it did. Mm -hmm. You know, that I, I do believe that that is my, that that's my, my sin in this, you know, Mm -hmm. is to have that kind of this arrogant opinion of myself that I'm, I would never do anything like that. And, Mm -hmm. and the people that got, you know, that have had their license taken and, you know, they must have done something terrible and Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're close to it, but before we tell people what happened and and what it is that you did, let's tell them what you didn't do. (laughs) Well, I didn't have sex with anyone <laughs> that you weren't supposed to. That I wasn't supposed to. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't steal anything. I didn't. Um, I didn't have any inappropriate relationships. I didn't uh, have dual relationships. I didn't do. I didn't do any of that. You didn't provide services under the influence. Nope. No, I never provided drugs to anybody. <laughs> I didn't uh, hire my clients. I didn't go on vacation with my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't uh, drink and do drugs on my, yeah, as a 
therapist or a supervisor. I didn't do any mm-hmm. of those things. Mm-mm. You didn't give uh, reckless guidance no. uh, to, to clients. Um, I didn't fail you... to, to uh, report or mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, the, and those are the things that, you know, I, I, I'm with you where, you know, if you're doing this for the right reason and, and, you know, you have parts in your, of your life established so that these things don't happen, mm-hmm. you kind of think you're in the clear, right? Mm-hmm. And again, not that uh, this isn't to mean that, you know, good people don't succumb to these problems, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Um, but you're looking at that list of things and you're like, well, I haven't done that yet mm-hmm. <laughs> in so, my life. And, so right now I'm good. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't ever see myself doing that again. And, um, uh, and, you know, the other thing is that folks need to know is that you've actually already survived one board complaint prior to this. Oh yeah. So, and, and I actually didn't even remember it and it was very early on. I wasn't even licensed. Um, I had a board complaint from, a, and it didn't really go anywhere. It was just a uh, a mom who wanted me to do to give some notes to her, and I said no. And so she complained to the board, and the board asked me, and I gave them the notes, and then I never mm-hmm. heard about it again. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of it was a big deal. But still but, one of those scary right, moments, though, right? Super oh my gosh. scary, <laughs> and I it didn't feel um, like a big. I mean, I was like, oh, okay, well, that was all right, and it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nothing ever came of that at all. It was it was just kind of dropped once mm-hmm. I did that. So, but okay. yes, I had had another complaint. Mm-hmm. So you get this call in Hawaii. One of your one of your interns lets you know, hey, the board contacted me. What do I do? You tell them, you know, contact them back. You know, just tell them what they need to know, and you should be fine. Mm-hmm. They call you back and they're like it's all about you. Yes. Um, so you get back from Hawaii. Then what? What happens? Yeah, I, when I got back from Hawaii, I. I uh, got a letter in the mail that was telling me about my the board complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when a bunch of stuff happened. So at this point, I am teaching at a university uh, in the area, and I also was supervising a bunch of students. So I actually took the letter that day to the university and said, here you go. This is what has happened. And they said, oh, my gosh, it's no big deal. It's fine. I'm sorry you're going through this. I'm sure it'll be taken care of and you can continue seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, doing what you're doing. And so I did. I continued through that term. But just to kind of make the story a little bit shorter, I'll just keep going. Um, I got a lawyer because at first I wasn't going to because I thought this wasn't a very big deal. The letter had had the accusations were that I had had a kind of a unfair contract with my therapists. And in the letter, they asked to see my supervision notes. Um, So that was one of the things that they asked for. And they also in this, in the accusations, they had said you were 30 days late in turning in your change of address form. And so, and I was. I was 30 days late. That is true. That is the the one thing that in the end ended up making me have to uh, settle because I was 30 days late with my change of wow. address form. Um, so 
So I got a lawyer. My lawyer said, this is not a big deal. We'll just take care of this. Um, They wrote all the stuff up, sent it to the board. The board met. And this is where my arrogance and my probably my arrogance again, you know, I had actually done quite a bit of um, therapy for counselors who were who had gotten in trouble and then the board would send them to you know would would suggest me to to go see and so I would see them and then you know give reports back to the board but the board didn't always I didn't always agree with them and I told them so and so then when my name (laughs) came up before them and they got to um to contemplate and talk about me um they they actually gave me a fine um, of more than anybody ever had been fined in the history of Oregon's board and and suspension and all this stuff and not not lose it didn't have anything to do with my license um, but it was a suspension from supervision and um, so then I could you know debate I could then go fight it go to court over it so my lawyer started you know said oh my gosh this is just where they start it's no big deal um we're gonna be fine and kept going and so the board ended up talking to the university when they weren't supposed to they actually released information that was not supposed to be released early they gave information to my supervisees that was incorrect. And so the university had to take away my students and not let me teach there anymore for that length of time. Um, it just kind of kept going, getting worse and worse. And we kept thinking it was going to get better and better, but it just didn't. Yeah. So that's where I found myself. I, I kept fighting it. And I was like fighting this, fighting this whole thing. And I'm like, this isn't supposed to happen. It's not supposed to be this way. Um, well, there was an ethics code that had come out in the ACA, um, new ethics code in, I think it was 2014, about, yeah, about fee splitting. And mm-hmm. so the board ended up having to, they, they said that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But turns out I actually wasn't. And they, in the end, they renegotiated, I guess, with each other. I don't know how that went, but they they had a a whole new committee that came up and tried to figure out what fee splitting was. And it wasn't what I was doing. Um, But that was the big thing that they had against me is that I was not being fair in my contracts. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, the contract that I use with my clinicians at my agency was the same contract that was used by most agencies in the state of Oregon. And they didn't like the the way that I had kept supervision notes. So those were the two the two big things. Mm-hmm. So as we went on, I mean, the thing is, it might like again, my license was never on the line. Um, just a lot of money and a lot of 
and taking away my ability to do supervision. Mm-hmm. So, or just for a while until I did trainings and all this stuff. So we mm-hmm. negotiated back and forth. And finally, I got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And we we're going to have to go to court. And my lawyer is saying, well, we can win these two things. We can win that your, your contracts aren't illegal. They're fine. They're fair. They're okay. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. And we can win that your supervision notes were adequate and that they were compliant with all the laws, but we can't win the fact that you are 30 days late on your change of address form. And so you're going to have to pay for all of your legal fees and all of their legal fees if we go to court. Wow. And and we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, right? And you mentioned that the civil penalty being levied was the highest in, in Oregon history, uh-huh. um, which again, by the way, higher than people who um, were found to have had sex with clients, mm-hmm. um, all forms, all kinds of other forms of, of exploitation. Mm-hmm. But yet your 30 day late um, was going to have a civil penalty uh, that outweighed any of those things. Yeah all of them. And at this point, my business had gone downhill because of this. I had to get rid of some of my clients and some of my supervisees because of that. Mm -hmm. And so financially, I just couldn't, couldn't hold on. This is 2020. So it's the equivalent of you saying I've got COVID. Absolutely. Like everybody, everybody runs and scatters and. Well, I would have too. And I (laughs) like, you know, seriously, I was like, y'all need to leave because this is not, you can't be associated with this. Right. Right. And, and I get it. I mean, I wasn't, there was no hard Mm -hmm. feelings about that for me at all. Um, But yeah, yeah. again, we weren't, you know, I'm saying we, cause you know, uh, I, was there. I wouldn't yes. say that I was there for every moment, but I was there for the, for the big parts, but mm-hmm. we have seen other people go through this. And Absolutely. so we get it right. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. We've seen this before. So yeah, I mean, it's, so it is business, right? It's business, but it still hurts. Oh, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me, one of the things that was really important for me is that my reputation was really right. big, right? It was important for everybody, but my reputation in the community was very good. I mean, mm-hmm. it really was. And we did really great work with folks. And I did a lot of work with lots of universities and had a good reputation with them. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big thing. But again, the board wasn't trying to take my license. They were saying, you know, you can be a therapist. There's no problem with that. But you can't right. do you, you have to do some other things and you need to give right. us a bunch of money. Right. So I had had this horrific year going through this. It was very traumatic, very hard. I've never honestly gone through. I mean, this is a good testament to my life so far, but I had not gone through anything like that before, Mm -hmm. anything so hard. And so at one point, I just said, I'm done and I'm going to give them my license. Mm -hmm. I don't want my license anymore. I don't want to be under this board anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. And so I had a lot of people, a lot of people argued with me about that. Mm 
Right. Uh, my lawyer did like you don't know, don't do this. You know, yeah. my friends. You, have a, you huh? had a daughter that was becoming a lawyer at this time. I had a daughter who was becoming a lawyer. <laughs> I had you know lots of friends and colleagues. Like I don't think you should do this. You shouldn't give up your license. And I yeah. just knew in me that there was no way I could do it anymore. I couldn't. Mm. I couldn't stay under that um, authority mm-hmm. and I couldn't continue to be a therapist with any integrity, I think in me. So mm-hmm. I chose to give up my license. It wasn't taken from me, right? Mm-hmm. It was voluntarily given to mm-hmm. them. So we finished. I mean, I just said, I didn't do these things, but okay. I'm going to agree to sign your papers because I did not turn in my change of address form. So you have me there. And so that's what I did. And I changed, I turned in my license on June 1st of 2018. So that was a big story. But what I want to say is that the whole, through that whole thing, I did not really um, emote outwardly at all. I didn't actually, I had a lot of anxiety at times, but I kind of kept thinking that it was going to be okay. Like that was like, it's going to be okay. This is so silly. Of course it's going to be okay. I didn't do anything. So it's going to be okay. And it just kept getting worse and worse and it wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really experience a lot of the grief or the sadness. I was kind of like confused the whole way through that year. I mean, that was really my emotion or my experience was confusion and dismay and like unbelief. And I had felt um, I'd been betrayed, you know, mm-hmm. by a, by people that I had worked with and for and done. I thought, um, you know, I had really sacrificed for actually a lot of a lot of them um, really betrayed me, and I felt very very hurt. But I just kept thinking it was going to be okay until it wasn't, <laughs> and. And honestly, I hadn't ever been through anything like that before. And so I didn't have a lot of skills of knowing how to manage that or how to emote even with that, you know, and um, how to feel all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I, I went to Austin with my daughter, moved her there, and I came back. And I remember it was like the week after 4th of July, and I was sitting in my bed and all of a sudden I just was overwhelmed with emotion and sadness and grief, like so much grief that I had done all of this stuff in my years of years and years and years of, of training and sacrifice and work. And then it was just all gone. Yeah. And I remember texting my husband and like looking back on that text, I thought it sounded a little like desperate, <laughs> but I, I just, I texted him and I, I went, I said, I don't know where I'm going to go, but I'm going to leave. I just have to go somewhere. And I'm so sad. And I went to a cemetery and I took a chair with me and I sat in the cemetery <laughs> And I went and bought a pack of cigarettes and I don't even smoke. And I bought this pack of cigarettes and I sat in this chair in a cemetery and 
I just sat there and played on my phone and cried and just cried. And then I cried for 10 days. I mean, I never, I didn't stop. I couldn't stop crying. And it was just so sad. Mm -hmm. And then the day after the 10th day, I was okay. And then I was like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. This is, this isn't the end of me. Wow. You know? So then I feel like that's when healing started is when I was able to just grieve and to Mm -hmm. let go of all that stuff and be angry and, and sad and all of that. And then I could start releasing all of that stuff. So I've got this this crazy thought in my head, and if I don't let it out, it'll, it'll be with me the rest of the interview. So not that I've ever given childbirth, but some people liken, you know, your your PhD and your doctorate, you know, as with all that goes into it and, and all the effort and all, the, it's like birthing a child. It absolutely is. <laughs> And they took it away from you. Yeah, they did. And they said that, well, I mean, you chose not to fight them over yeah. it, but, you know, in a sense, it was taking that away from you and saying, you don't have access to this anymore. Uh-uh. So I get why you would cry for, for, for 10 days, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. It was, it was such deep grief. And there's like, I mean, with that kind of a thing. People don't know the story. They don't know the whole story. They don't know my side of the story anyway. Sure. And so there's like embarrassment and shame mm-hmm. and and like I don't know what people are thinking about me and what they're saying about me. And I mean, there was some paranoia, like all of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, gosh, it was just a very big mm-hmm. experience. And And even that piece of you coming through, you know, day 11 with this beginning or maybe even solidified piece of self-awareness that you're going to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Some people still think that's crazy. Like, how could you, how could you think that you're going to be okay? Look what just happened to you. Right. I mean, absolutely. And there's people that I'm sure that reacted, you know, that way Mm -hmm. uh, as well. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I think it is, uh, it is harder. Uh, in many times, I mean, many cases, it's harder to watch somebody go through grief than to do it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like to watch somebody you love go through something so horrible and unjust and wrong and people are hurting them. It's so hard to feel out of control and not able mm-hmm. to help them. And I think a lot of my friends felt like that. My husband certainly felt like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was a lot of times. I mean, even even still, sometimes, I mean, years later, sometimes people are like, you should do something more about that. I'm like, huh. <laughs> yeah, I made my peace with it. Right? I, I did that okay, yeah. yeah. When I think of the way I was taught to think about trauma and the way that I teach and train and supervise around trauma is, you know, I have people imagine three big, let's say, glass spheres, like those those glass um, floats that you hope to find when you're beachcombing, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them represents your past, one of them represents your your present, and then one of them represents your future. 
And when things like this happen in our lives, um, it can shatter one, two, or all three of those fears, Mm -hmm. or maybe it cracks it, you know? Um, So for you, you know, from the story that I know, it definitely shattered, you know, the present, you know, (laughs) who is Wendy and and what's Wendy going to do. And it definitely shattered the future one because this whole thing was built around you being a therapist, you being a supervisor, you being a clinical director. And those things are just in terms of that aspect of your life, right? You're still a wife and you're still a mom and, and, your grandma by this point, I huh? was, but but professionally, <laughs> you're right. Professionally, yeah. and the vision that I had for, and, and really my identity. I mean, I think right. that's this whole identity piece of yep. like, that's what you're talking about. This identity right. of who I am going to be and who I mm-hmm. am right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I find even still um, it very difficult to identify who I am, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I called you know, my podcast is I used to be a therapist because mm-hmm. that's what I find myself saying when people are like, well, what do you do? Oh, I used to be a therapist. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how to even still sometimes, I mean, I, I'm learning to, to do this different, mm-hmm. but even still it's hard to know how to identify what I do or who I am, mm-hmm. you know, because that was such a big piece of who I was. So, I mean, you know, we got our PhD, but we were counselors before that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So it was a, it's been a big part of my, well, certainly the biggest part of my professional life. Mm-hmm. And so, and identifying who, and, and I really dove into my profession after my parenting time was kind of almost done. So I wasn't Mm -hmm. a mom really anymore. I mean, I'm a mom, but I wasn't a different stage. You're a different stage as a mom. Yeah. And now I'm a therapist and that's what I do, but I, that was taken away. And that was really, really the the identity piece, I think was the hardest for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing now? (laughs) You don't have to, you don't have to label who you are, but what, what, what are you doing now with your, uh, with your time, how how are you making an impact in this world? What's the legacy that you're going to be leaving behind? Oh, I like that. You know, one of the blessings in the middle of this whole thing, uh, it was a, it was such a gift. So right before this all happened, before I knew this was all happening, my friend came to my office and she's sitting in my office and she's like, hey, do you want to like, try to do this oil business thing with me. And I'm like, sure, that sounds fun. <laughs> like I didn't, cause I, and it was really right when I was having this whole time on the, on my porch of like, I don't know, I want to let go of all of this. And that seems like a really <laughs> silly thing to do that people might not do if they had a PhD. Right. So right, right. that's what I, <laughs> that's what I thought. So I'm like, sure, that'd be fun. Let's try that. So I I started using oils in our practice. And then in that January, I went on a business trip with my husband and I wrote a book. And Mm -hmm. that book was a big part of what allowed me the confidence and Mm. yeah, the confidence, the self-confidence that I could do something different. And so that's what I have been doing a, a big part of my life now is doing, you know, talking. I talk with a lot of mental health workers about 
oils. I just do a lot of oil stuff. Um, but I also am a Grammy and I take care of my mom and which is really, I mean, I, I'm very involved in my mom's care and Mm -hmm. I feel like it's been such a gift that I have the freedom and time Mm -hmm. and a bit availability to be present with Mm -hmm. her and my dad right now during this time. Um, So I do a lot of that as well. And then I've been podcasting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love that, you know, and my podcast is, is the upgraded life and we focus on stories like these and how mindset was pivotal into getting people from where they were to, to where they are now. You know, one of the concepts that we see in personal development and, you know, from the mouths of gurus is, you know, when these things happen to us in our lives and these things will happen to all of us mm-hmm. at some point in time. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're listening to this, which I don't think is the case because of who your audience is and who my audience uh, tends to be. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you're listening to this saying, well, I just I haven't had that thing happen to me. Just wait. Hold on. <laughs> right. And if it hasn't happened to you in 2020, then um, consider yourself the lucky one because right. a lot of things have happened to people that they never thought would, would, would ever happen. Um, but the thing that's you know prevalent in personal development from the mouths of guru gurus is you have a choice in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Um, yes, take some time to to you know you took longer than Mel Robbins five seconds, rightfully so, right? T- Ten days, <laughs> whatever it was. Um, but it, there's a choice ultimately. Absolutely. I mean, you can look at that thing. This thing happened to me. Um, my future professional career is not going to be um, what I thought it was going to be. Okay. What other opportunities does this give me now? Mm-hmm. Right. This happened for a reason. Was it, was it right? No. Mm-hmm. Was it just? Mm-hmm. No. Could you stop it? maybe probably not it probably wouldn't have been worth the fight necessarily so you have to step back and you have to to say okay so this is this is the reality as i accept it what opportunity uh is going to be available to me because of this scenario is, is that Abs- true with you or, or yeah absolutely i mean there comes a time when you have to decide if you're just going to sit down and be sad for forever or you're going to do something new and, and better. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you people who have never gone through a lot of, you know, haven't gone through any trauma, they don't have the ability to be empathetic, to really understand and have compassion for that. And so I feel like this has given me so much compassion for people who go through um, professional traumas specifically, mm-hmm. you know, professional traumas that have a lot, I mean, impact our identity in mm-hmm. so many ways because it doesn't just impact you professionally. It impacts you personally and your, your social uh, community and all. I mean, it just, it is very deep. And, And I think that sometimes, you know, we look at personal trauma and say, you know, that is, it's horrible, but we don't necessarily identify professional trauma as being super 
um, impactful in our psyche, you know, and it just really is. And so I love now that I get to, um, I do a lot of coaching with folks who have for, with women specifically who have gone through professional trauma and I have a group, uh, online group that I work with women who have gone through this, gone through different professional traumas. And I love being able to do that. And I would never have gotten to do that if I hadn't gone through that myself. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. I, you know, makes total sense, but I don't know that I've ever heard that phraseology before professional trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just kind of get goosebumps when I hear you talking about that because um, it exists all around us. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, for better, you know, like it or not so much of what we do as in a profession becomes part of our identity. And when those things, you know, get ripped away from us for whatever reason, it, it is a trauma, professional trauma. So I love that. Is that, is that talked about out there um, distinctly and specifically as a, as a thing? Um, no, actually, I think I created that word. Just, <laughs> just talk- right now? No, 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 no. I, 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 that's what I like yeah. promote myself as, but I, yeah. I never saw it. I just said, well, that's what it was, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't know. It might be somebody else must have come it. up with that no, idea. I mean, I, like I said, I, you know, I think, I think we have distinct stories out there, you know, mm-hmm. about, Hey, this happened to me in my career and I had to do something different, but I don't know that we, I don't know that it's being talked about as professional trauma. Yeah. Do you know Michael Singer's singer story? He wrote the untethered soul. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, there, there's that's professional, professional trauma. trauma right. right? Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know the book, it's a, it's a great book. Um, but he was CEO of Oracle, I believe. Mm-hmm. During an era where I think from the le- the Congress uh, where it was investigating the company for embezzlement, yeah. and it was his, it was some of his direct reports that were embezzling money, and but he was the one that was you know ultimately responsible for the whole thing, and yeah, um, he, I think he's given some talks with Oprah, kind of where she really interviews him about this particular part of his life, and incredible. Um, story of how he was able to persevere through that and um, claims he didn't have any anxiety or worry. (laughs) Well, that's good for him. I I did. I had anxiety. I, yeah, I I think my anxiety was very much about people, you know, and, and more. It's one of the questions that you have, you know, when you went through this, did you lose friends? Did you gain friends? You know, like you said, the paranoia of who's, who's thinking this about me? Mm-hmm. Will this person ever talk to me again? Mm-hmm. Um, Salem's a small town. You, you see all these people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, will it be awkward if we, you know, are in the same line together, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. there's, there's lots it of is, reasons by the way, concerns yeah. and anxiety and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it is awkward, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a, Going through that whole year, um, because it was very public, and the, again, the the board had released the information and the accusations before they were supposed to, accidentally, according to them, but then, you know, it became more public than it was supposed to before that, the end. And... And then I, I was, you know, fairly involved in community, uh, in that, in the professional community. So what I found interesting, and I, I don't know, 
I don't know what I feel about this. I really don't. I mean, I have different feelings. I understand it, but I'm not sure what I feel about this. But I did not hear from anybody out in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly you, you're because you're my friend, you know, but but professionally, mm-hmm. nobody talked to me. That hurts. And I found that fascinating. Like mm-hmm. and I and I I mean I get it too. Like we were talking about like, okay, we gotta become this pariah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Right before this, I was this person that they would trust and respect and right. bring in and need, right? And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I was somebody that they – and they didn't ask how I was doing. They didn't mm-hmm. ask and, – and it was like no one mm-hmm. in that profession. And so I just found that f- so interesting to me that right. – and, and I would just say that I'm not sure what I would have done. I'm sure. Before were, yeah. my mm-hmm. experience, you know, mm-hmm. I don't well, know. I don't know. I mean, we, we have another mutual contact that, you know, got in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, that, um, I was desperately trying to reach out to him before he realized it was me. He thought it was somebody else. Right. right. And so, um, the person that I know you to be would have reached out. Yeah, maybe. That's my belief. If it was me, you would have reached out. Absolutely, I would have. Right? I would have been on your doorstep. <laughs> you would have slapped me silly. If it was, <laughs> right. Uh, well, and with him, I did. But, you know, that was after. Yeah. It was after. And I called right away with him because yeah. because of that. I mean, because sure. it was my, Yeah. I mean, I it was my experience. That... You're a pro- professional trauma expert now. <laughs> <laughs> professional trauma expert. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I I'd love that. Um, I, I'm glad that you're that. That's your label, right? That's what you're doing now, um, amongst yeah. other things. So it's true. I yeah, have a, lot of, a lot of things. I mean, that is a passion for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Be, and I think it's because I did go through that, and so mm-hmm. it became a passion that I would not have had before. So, if we kind of end on that idea right and me taking one of your final questions and you know for people who are in the midst of professional trauma and maybe they don't even know it but now after they've heard this maybe they they become fully aware of it or people that are you know have come through it um but they still have residue from it what would you want them to hear from from your story as you just told it to to me here and now about how you got through your professional trauma and, and what kind of hope can you offer people that are in that same or similar situation? Mm-hmm. I think um, the first thing is that there is hope. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's not the end of you. Like That was a big piece for me was, you know, in that the 10 day thing. And then I'm like, it's, this isn't the end of me. It's just the end of that. Sure. Right? So mm-hmm. I would just say it's going to be okay. It will It will show. I mean, you will be able to see something good come from it eventually. But mm-hmm. right now it sucks. It's okay. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. to just have grace for yourself and compassion for yourself, that is a big thing. Right. And surround yourself by people who love you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love it. So it's going to be okay. Surround yourself by people that love you. And then the other thing that you said was, oh, um, knowing that, you know, good can come from this. Good will come from this if you allow it to, mm-hmm. to, to, to be so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you did it. <laughs> I did it. I did tell my story. <laughs> yes. And it's a story of um, Dr. Wendy Bruton, who used to be a therapist. Yeah. I used to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say that I, I had a chance to go back. Mm-hmm. And there is no way in hell <laughs> that I would go back to that now. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if I will say no way in hell, but there is no freaking way. <laughs> there is, they couldn't pay you enough money. They could not pay me enough money. There you go. They could not pay me enough money to go back. Yeah. yeah. And so I. Let's be real. They weren't paying you enough money. No, they weren't. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't paying me enough money, but they couldn't. Right. And um, because I am so I'm I feel that pressure that I felt on that porch, on my porch that day, you know, it isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I'm living in the place that I'm supposed to be now. And I thought I was then too, and maybe I was, but right now I am super happy to be where I am. Yeah. 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 So anyway, Thank you for walking me through my story. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. I'm honored to to do to do it. And like I said, I don't think that there was probably a better fit given that I, I knew the story. Uh, I learned some new things this time around, as I always do. Okay. And um, I'm happy that uh, you asked me to do it. Thank you very much for doing that. All right. We'll talk soon. Yes. Okay. Take care. <laughs>